Welcome to Central Baptist Church Buna's weekly sermon podcast. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at cbcbuna.com. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to open it with me to the New Testament, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we'll make a home today. This country is in a bad place. It seems that everywhere you look, selfishness, greed, pride, and arrogance abound. Uh, children are disobedient as they can be. Uh, parents don't know how to parent. Uh, people are just ungrateful. They don't seem to care about holiness. Uh, this country is heartless slanderous. There's zero self-control. Their lives are marked by recklessness. They think they're the smartest person in every room. There's no love of God. Instead, this country seeks to love themselves over everything. Sexual sin is rampant. This country leans into prideful lust. Even the church is full of fake godliness. Things look godly and strong, but there is not godly wisdom and power to be found. This country is in grave trouble. I know that some of you are thinking, wow, pastor got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. It's election year and he's leaning into it. But would it surprise you to know that I'm not actually talking about America? I'm talking about ancient Turkey, specifically a region known as Ephesus. And everything that I just said is actually found in the text that we're going to read this morning. And before we even get to the text, can we just acknowledge for a second that maybe, just maybe, the Bible has something to speak into modern culture today. I had the opportunity to preach to a group of about 100 men over in Tyler County at a, at a breakfast they had Thursday morning, and I started the message just the way I did, and I'm telling you, I had a group of men ready to go march. They're like, amen. Like, I, y'all were just a little scared. They weren't. They were like, amen, that's what I'm talking about. And by the time, they're almost whipped into a frenzy, and I was like, I'm not talking about America. And they were like, hold up. But it's clear that the Word of God has something to say, not only to ancient Ephesus, but brothers and sisters, to you and me today. I want to remind you, especially in an election year, that people often say and scream things like, it's as bad as it's ever been before. But I want to remind you that fear seems to be the main thing that both parties try to sell this time of our lives. But by and large, what what you'll find in campaign rhetoric, stuff like it's bad as it's ever been, this is a text from 2,000 years ago that, again, most of you thought was talking about our country and our culture today. Here's the truth. There have been many cultures and many places and many times and many spots in human history where we have found ourselves as people in a bad, bad spot. But I want to tell you the good news is that I didn't continue to summarize what we're going to find here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 because what we're going to find today is actually what we need to be able to engage with the culture that is as lost as the one I just described 
a moment ago. So we're going to read this entire chapter, 17 verses, and then we will pray and ask for the Lord's help as we study it together. I want to acknowledge this is going to be a long scripture reading. Uh, when I was on staff at the church in Wichita, we had a large staff, and one of the things we would do is I would actually go through my message on a weekly basis with them. I would actually preach it, and they would evaluate it. We had several guys who would kind of take note, give me a letter grade. I don't do that anymore because I know Bryce and Caleb will give me an F every week, all right? But we did that. We had several pastors, and we did that every week. And it was always one, one week, I'll never forget, one of the, the guys said, hey, uh, it was good, but the passage you read really killed your momentum. You were really, like, from a communication standpoint, you were killing it. And then it just seemed like everything slowed down when we got to the Bible passage. Well, what I want to tell you is that from a communication standpoint, that is exactly correct. This is about to slow down. But here's what I want to tell you. What we're about to do right now is the most important part of this or any other message that we preach here at this church. The Word of God. This is when it's not uh, just, you know, what the Lord has given me to share with you, but this is God himself speaking to us. So, man, let's lean in for all 17 verses we find here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's what the Word says. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, Brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for this passage that points us to it in the midst of a wild culture and a wild generation, in the midst of even sin in our own lives, Lord. I'm thankful for messages like this that call us to avoid that life and instead to soak ourselves in the scriptures. So God, would you remind us of this today and apply this word to our heart in the way that only you can. It's in your name we pray, amen. 
Well, one of the most common questions I get in ministry, and I get a lot of those because I feel like I say this a lot. One of the questions I get a lot, but this is one that, that many of you have even suggested or asked over the few months I've been here, is this, are we living in the last days? People have been asking this question for a long time. In fact, almost every generation finds things that are happening that would cause them to say, see, the end of the days are almost here. Uh, you go back generation after generation and they can put together things that say, wow, it seems like Jesus could be coming back at any minute. And what I want to say is that every single one of those previous generations all the way to today have been correct. The unequivocal answer is yes, we are living in the last days. I believe this has been true from the moment that Jesus ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God. Since that moment, the return of Christ has been imminent. And yes, in our human understanding, it seems to be taking a little while, right? <laughs> it's like, hey, come on back, man. Finish this thing. You should have done it before the freeze. Come on. But I want to remind you of what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, verses 8 through 10. I think I have this on the screen for you. It says this. Let me see, I got it there. I'm going to have to follow up here. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Jesus is coming soon. It was true when Paul wrote this letter to a young pastor named Timothy. It was true when Peter wrote what we just read in his letter to the early church. And it is true today, Jesus Christ is coming again. And the question you and I have to wrestle with is, how do we respond to the reality of Christ's imminent return? The first thing that this text would call us to do is to recognize and respond to the godless culture around us. Recognize and respond to the godless culture around us. It's important for us not only to recognize, but to appropriately respond to the godless culture around us. Verses 2 through 7 were summed up in my introduction. You, all these characteristics about what a godless culture looks like. Man, as you're reading through that, if we're honest, don't you see some of those things, even in our culture today? And you'll notice one word repeated over and over through that section. It would be the word love. Lovers of money, lovers of self, but not loving others. And ultimately, verse 4 says, not lovers of God. So there are a lot of symptoms listed here, and we don't have time to walk through each and every one of them, but I would argue that the root of the problem, the heart of this wickedness and godlessness, is actually a misappropriated love. See, it's a love that is turned inward instead of a love that is directed towards God and others. And when we find ourselves at this place, brothers and sisters, we find ourselves in a dangerous spot. This text exposes that for what it is. It is godlessness and wickedness. We've talked the last couple weeks about the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. This godless culture is marked by a wholehearted pursuit 
of worldly wisdom. Our world today would encourage you to go out and find whatever makes you happy and satisfies your heart above all else, above what the Bible says, above what anybody says, above anything else. Go out and find what satisfies and makes you happy. You go out and live for you. That's what the world says today. I was reading in the New York Times this week, and I know some of you are like, there's your first problem, Pastor. But y'all, there was this glowing article about a woman who was living in an open marriage. If you don't know what that means, it's, I'm not even going to tell you to Google it. It just means that she was pursuing sexual relationships outside of her marriage with the permission of her husband. And y'all, this article spoke glowingly about this brave, heroic woman who was willing to push past the taboos of society and the awkwardness that it brought in her marriage and even the challenge that it brought to her raising her two teenage boys. Oh, but she was so brave that she continued to press through and push through the awkward feelings of abandoning her marriage and living this lifestyle around her children But it was all worth it, y'all, because she found who she truly was. Oh, man, what a hero, right? This is what our culture says today. An article like that in the New York Times may not be surprising to us in 2024, but brothers and sisters, would it not surprise you to know that this same sentiment slowly seeps into our lives as well? Perhaps it's not this type of sexual immorality, But the idea of loving and finding yourself regardless of what barriers you have to break, regardless of what taboos you participate in, regardless of how it affects others, even if it's your immediate family. But I can just tell you right now, I know of marriages that are on the brink, that have fallen apart because one of the partners in the marriage decided they needed to find who they truly were. They needed to be true to themselves. That's the exact language that, that I hear even in this context in Southeast Texas. And we have a culture that doesn't only condone this behavior, but it celebrates it. Man, write a book about that experience and you may have an article in the New York Times about it. The sad reality that this, is, that this isn't just the secular culture around us. Even in the American church, we've gone right along with this line of thinking. It's not uncommon to hear a very man-centered gospel proclaimed in the pulpit of American churches. The message is essentially this. Jesus came to help you level your life up, to help you be a better you. It's a self-help gospel. But the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't a self-help gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, die to yourself so you can be recreated in Christ. Those types of messages are not feeding your soul. People will go and they'll say, man, I just really need to be fed. But the dangerous reality is that you're not feeding your soul. You're feeding your flesh. So this may surprise us, but I want you to see in this text that this is not a surprise to the Scripture. Verse 5 says, people are going to have the appearance of godliness, but they'll deny the power that comes with being a godly person. Then even the example that verse 8 gives us, we have the two names of these guys. Their names are not even mentioned in the Old Testament. Uh, What Jewish uh, teachers said is that these are two of the names of the magicians in Egypt. Do you remember when uh, Moses went and would perform a miracle in front of Pharaoh? Then there would be some of the Egyptian magicians that would come and would kind of duplicate that miracle. 
Their job was essentially to stop the people around them from seeing the work of God and responding to it. Brothers and sisters, can I tell you today that there are people that are working this dark magic in 2024, even in the modern church. False teachers who are trying to actually rob us of seeing what God is trying to do in and around this world. Deceiving people by doing works that lead them to disregard the actual work of God. Paul says these are disqualified regarding the faith, corrupted in mind. Oh, there's a lot happening here. There's so much. We might even circle back to this eventually on a Wednesday night where I have time to unpack all of this. But here is the call of this text. We must recognize the godless culture around us and appropriately respond. Well, what is the appropriate response? Paul says it loud and clear in these verses. Avoid these people. And what this is a call for us to do is to be separate from the world. And we've said the last two weeks that we don't live our lives by the wisdom of the world. The world's playbook is spelled out in verses 2 through 7. And the results are deadly. Run from what the world calls wisdom. I want to just quickly point out again before we move to our next section of Scripture it's hard to avoid the foolishness of the world when we find our primary entertainment in engaging with the folly of this world. Do you hear what I said? It's hard to run from the wickedness of the world when we are entertained by the wickedness of this world. It's not fun to think about, but if we're just going to be real today, I think the vast majority of our television, our scrolling, the podcasts we listen to, the, the books we're reading are rooted in the ideas of the world and the ways of the world. And I want to just tell you, if you think you're not influenced by it, the Bible says for a reason, avoid these people, avoid these influences. Could it be that you are casually setting before your eyes, putting music in your ears and thoughts in your head that line up with verses 2 through 7? And we think that we're okay. Friends, don't saturate your life with the things of the world. The Bible invites us to avoid wickedness and godlessness. Respond appropriately to it. We've got to call it what it is and acknowledge it for what it is and avoid it. Being separate from it. But here's what I love about this text. As important as that truth is, there's a reason we spent time on it, even though I know that wasn't going to be popular today. I know that y'all weren't going to be like, man, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> I love talking about the wickedness of the world and how I'm kind of low-key participating in it. I knew that wasn't going to be popular. But, but here's what I want to tell you, friends. The main thrust of this passage it is actually a beautiful opportunity that we have as Christ followers. Yes, we're called to recognize and respond to the godless culture around us, but now Paul shows us how we can live as transformed people in a godless culture. How do we do that? We do this by saturating our lives in the word of God. Verse 10 offers the stark contrast. After nine verses acknowledging and calling out the godlessness of our culture, Paul says, you, however. Now let me just ask right there before we even move on. Can this be said about you? 
Can it say, okay, so here's culture, but you are different. There is a contrast. There's the world, and then there's you, Christ follower. And this can be said about your life. Can it be said about our church? It's so easy to rail on our godless culture, but oftentimes, if we're honest, our lives look the same as theirs. But this is our goal. It should be our goal to be able to say, but, but as for me, as for me in my house, as for me in this church, we're not going to be swayed by the things of this world and the ways of the world. Instead, we are going to be led by Christ and his word. Oh, that we would be different than the world around us. That we wouldn't embrace what the world calls good and the Bible calls evil and wickedness. How does this happen? I want to work backward in this text, and you'll see why in a minute, but I want to jump first to verses 16 and 17. These might be the two verses that have been the most formative in my walk with Christ. These verses changed my life when I was in my early 20s. I'd been to Bible college. I was going to seminary. I was working three jobs at the same time, and I was on a mission trip in West Texas, and I was just feeling far from the Lord. You ever have those seasons? I think being an Abilene will do that to you. But anyways, we're on this mission trip. I'm a chaperone. There's all these youth students and the youth pastor said, hey, we're going to do a little daily devotional. Here's a piece of paper. Y'all get off by yourself and spend some time with the Lord. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess I'll do this. So I take the paper. I go, you know, I'm a leader. This is for the kids. And I take this piece of paper and I go and I sit down and I open up my Bible, and it's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And it said, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Yo, I was stunned when I read those words. And I've been praying that today it would hit you the same way it hit me several years ago. How can you experience God? How can you hear his voice? Have you been looking for a fresh wind and a fresh fire today? How can you experience the Holy Spirit in a real and tangible way? Friends, the answer is by diving into the God-breathed word. Some of your translations may say inspired. All scripture is inspired. The Greek word there is theonoustos, which sounds really wild, but it's just two Greek words, theos, which is God, and pneuma, which is breath, smashed together. God and breath, boom. And that's where we actually get that word inspiring. When you say something was inspiring, did you know you're actually saying this was breathed out by God? It's the etymology of the word inspiring. So we say that all scripture is literally breathed out by God. So brothers and sisters, do you need the breath of God in your life? Here it is, breathed out to you, ready to speak to you, ready to challenge you and change you today. God is here and he speaks to you. This is why I'm always encouraging you, man, read your Bibles, get in the word of God until the word of God gets in you. Not because it makes you a better Christian if you're reading the Bible more, no, because we meet God here when we open the scriptures. He stands ready to transform your life through his presence. So listen to the voice. Have you heard it lately? Have you been listening? 
See, according to these verses, these words teach us, they correct us, they train us. In fact, the text says they literally make us complete. They mold and shape us into who it is that God wants us to be. And they prepare us for the mission that we've been called to. The text says equipped for every good work. This is the power of a life that's saturated in the word of God instead of the culture around us. This is how we live as transformed people in a godless culture. And this is where I want to back up to verse 10 because here's the thing in this text. Paul is confident that young pastor Timothy is walking this out. He's a young pastor in the midst of a godless culture and Paul says, man, I know you're doing this. Why does he know he's doing it? Because it's been modeled for him. You see this? Look at verse 10. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and my sufferings. Paul says, you've seen my life. And it's not all been easy. In fact, Paul went through immense persecution. But the good, the bad, and the in-between, God's word has been transforming my life. And contrary to the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel out there, even when you're being transformed by God's word, can I tell you, persecution comes. In fact, verse 12 says, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. If you live a life according to God's word, you will naturally end up lining up in opposition to the world around us. And I want to tell you here in America, up until the last 20 years, that's not really been the case. But can I tell you, I believe in the next 20 years, there will be a price to be paid for being a Christ follower who believes the Bible. Are you ready for that? I don't know that we are. Because y'all got weird with just the first part of my sermon. <laughs> But we have to model that in the days ahead, and I pray that we will. We need godly examples that will show the world that we're not afraid to live for Christ regardless of what people think. But this godly saturation in Scripture wasn't just modeled by Timothy's pastor and mentor, Paul, but verse 15 said Timothy's family, mentioned earlier in this letter by name, his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice poured the word of God into him. So, so here's what I want to think about today. And I really believe this, friends. This has the power to bring revival to your life. This message has the power to bring revival to your family. And I believe that it could even bring revival to this church and our entire community. And it starts not with some huge initiative. Like, here's what we need to do. We're going to knock on every door in Buna, or we're going to do this, or we're going to do that. No, it doesn't start with that. It starts with making an intentional choice to saturate our lives with the Word of God. And I want you to think about this on a few different levels. First, personally, are you committed to being in the Word of God? And I want to just get really nitty-gritty practical with you today. Do you have a plan? Listen, if you don't have a plan for reading the Bible, can I just tell you what's going to happen? You do have a plan. You have a plan to not read the Bible. You're either planning to get in God's Word and being intentional about it, or you're not doing it. 
And here's what's wild, y'all. We are very blessed to live in the culture in which we live. There's a lot of really messed up things about it that we talked about earlier. But man, the technology we have is pretty wild. Like you can get apps on your phone that not only will build a reading plan for you, but your phone will go off and be like, hey bro, read your Bible. Isn't that crazy? There is no excuse. Like you don't even need me to follow you around and be like, hey, you did your Bible reading today? No, man, we have all these resources. And if you don't know about those resources, you're like, man, I'd like to find some of that. Please come talk to one of our staff. We want to hook you up with the resources to be able to get in the word of God until the word of God gets in you. But some of you, and just admittedly like me, you know what to do. I remember there were seasons where it's like maybe, maybe I did like one of those read through the Bible in a year plans, right? And I got done with it and I was like, man, that was awesome. God did so much in my life this last year. But this year, I'm just going to kind of slow down and just read whatever the Lord puts on my heart to read. You know how that worked out? Not so great. What are you reading? Now, I'm still in Hebrews. I've been in Hebrews for six months. It's awesome. So much there, brother. So much there. It's like, no, man, you can lose that continuous diving into the word of God. But I want to tell you, and I've said this to you before, friends, every season of personal revival in my life has come in a season in which I dove into the scriptures and got intentional about spending time in God's word. I've said this to you before, but man, if you spent 25% of the time you spend on your phone in the word of God, how much would your life change? Some of y'all are like, man, that'd be eight hours a day. I don't know how right? It's like, man, I take Deuteronomy 6 seriously. I'm going to get that Apple Vision Pro, and I'm just going to keep the Word of God before me all the time. Walk around with ski goggles on that are reading the Bible to me. It's going to be amazing. Like four of you understand what I'm talking about. It's fine. We'll just keep going. So personally, do you have a plan to get in the Word of God? And are you serious about that? If not, y'all, today, like right now, I mean, we're going to have our time of commitment in a little while, man, I want to encourage you just to give with the Lord and say, God, help me personally be committed to the Word of God. I want to get in the Word of God till the Word of God gets in me. Secondly, I want to ask this, what about your family? How do you saturate your family in the Word of God? I think if you do, friends, there are probably some things you're going to need to unplug. Maybe you need to turn off the TV. Maybe you need to change what you're watching or listening to as a family. And I, I got to tell you, <laughs> I'm already going there. It's too late. Like, I'm not a big Christian music guy. Can I just level with you, right? Like, I, I mean, like, the, the, the ones I love, I love, right? But I don't listen to a lot of Christian radio. I was angry when 97.1 became a Christian station. Anybody else, right? I haven't repented yet. I'm still mad about it, right? I, I haven't listened in protest ever since, you know? So, so here's the thing. Like, my boys can sing every single word to Wichita lineman right now and some other songs that I don't want them to sing to you today, you know? And you realize, man, they're listening to everything, to everything. And man, can I tell you what I love? When I walk in and I hear them on their karaoke machine, Na, 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 na. That's how I sing it too. Grace on top of grace. That's how y'all do it too. I, I heard you. Caleb's like, ah, and y'all are just like, ah, grace on top. Yeah, yeah right? And I love to hear them singing words from Scripture. 
So man, what are some little shifts like that? And I'm not telling you, you never need to listen to classy. I mean, I'm trying to buy some radio space so we can get a new station going, all right? But man, I'm just telling you, what are you putting into their heads and their hearts, mom and dad? Think about the things they're watching. Think about the things you're watching around them. They know the most annoying commercials on TV right now. Been watching football too much. And man, they're singing all of them. They're singing about Ozempic the other day. I'm like, what are you talking about? What is, what is happening? Like, my kids know about all the stuff. It's like, this is wild. They don't make commercials like they used to, you know? What are you putting in their heads and hearts? So what I want to challenge you is rather than being passive and let them hear all the things from the world that are going, because listen, they're listening and they're hearing. But I want to ask you this simple question. Are you being intentional about putting the word of God in their hearts? Because here's what's wild. And their memories are still being shaped and made. They will remember the stuff that you intentionally put in their heads and hearts right now when they're my age. So are you being intentional in doing that? Saturate your family the word of God. Deuteronomy 6 literally says, man, with, with your kids, it's instructions on parenting, a great passage about the family. It says, put these words, the word of God, loving God and loving others, put it before your eyes, put it on the gates of your house, put it on the door. Everywhere they look, they ought to be saturated in the reality of who God is and what he's doing in their lives. So moms, dads, grandparents, empty nesters, Young married couples, single adults even, saturate your family and your home with the word of God. Because here's the truth. God wants to equip us for a good work. It's my favorite part about this. What is the work that God has? Here's the wild thing. Did you know that, that if you're in Christ, verses 2 through 7 shouldn't describe your life, but can I tell you the honest reality? They used to. That was you. But can I tell you the, the beautiful truth of the gospel is that God loves this godless and wicked culture so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross to try to redeem what's lost and broken. And here's the reality. When you saturate your life in the word of God, do you know what happens? you become equipped for every good work. God actually equips you to go back into that godless culture so that you can be an agent of change, so that you can not only change culture, like listen, listen I'm thankful for godly politicians, I'm thankful for godly civic organizations and all that, yes and amen, but can I tell you how real transformation happens? Not in a vote in November, real transformation will happen in our culture when the church actually starts being salt and light in the culture in which we live in. And that only happens when you've been saturated in the Word of God. So is your cup running over today? We have the, you know, the, the, our new house here, I'm very thankful. The house I lived in in Wichita, we had the water in the door. If you have, I even had somebody say, don't do that, man, you got little kids. And I was like, ah, oh, it'll be fine. It was the worst, okay? But... What I would do is say, hey, would you grab me some water? And my kids would go. I'm sitting on the couch. They'd go get me some water. Margie used to love to do this. She doesn't do this anymore. She's grown out of it. But Margie would get my glass, and she thought it was the funniest thing to fill that glass as full as you could possibly fill it. And she would come walking over to me with that cup, just trying not to spill it. But inevitably, what happens? Boom. Oh, oh, 
he spills half of it on the ground, right? And it's like, ah, oh, stop, what are you doing? But can I tell you something? I, I want you and me to be so full of the word of God that when people bump into us, guess what's coming out? The Lord, his word, scripture, the transformation that's happening in our lives. We need to be so saturated that all the people around us encounter what God is doing in our lives. Brothers and sisters, what are you soaking in today? Are you soaking in the world and the godless culture? And by the way, soaking that in sometimes looks like just being mad at it. If you're soaking in Fox News and being mad at this side or soaking in CNN and being mad at that side, that's not helping anybody either. Some of you think you're an expert at acknowledging a wicked, godless culture around you. But you're not going to change that culture until the word of God changes you. So man, where does this start? Not with a new program, not with a special initiative. I don't have any big deal for you today, but here's what the call is. Get in the word of God until the word of God gets in you. We're gonna have a simple time of, of response. And man, I, I want every single person in this room, if you're a Christ follower, I want you to commit to become a man or woman of the word. Some of you may wanna come up and just come to the altar and just kneel down and say, Lord, I, I'm making a commitment today to be a man or woman of the word. Some of you may want to do that right where you're at, but whatever you do, I want to challenge you and encourage you today to saturate your life in the scripture so that you can be who it is God wants you to be, equipped for every good work. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge it brings us, Lord. Thank you for truth. Lord, thank you that even though we do live in a culture that, that often looks like Ephesus looked, it, it seems godless and wicked, and Lord, it is. I, I pray you would help us not only to be separate from it, but Lord, to care enough to be changed by you so that we can demonstrate the love that only comes from you to the lost world that desperately needs it. God, I pray for my friends who may be here today that are far from you. Maybe they are the godless and the wicked and they've never responded to the gospel. I pray that they would feel your love today in a real way that would change them and make them who it is you want them to be. God, we thank you for what you're going to do and just ask that you would move in our lives and in our hearts. I pray that commitments would be made all over this room that would literally transform lives, that would transform families, and God, that would transform this church and this community as we commit to be people of the word. So Lord, thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for listening to Central Baptist Church Buna's weekly sermon podcast. May God bless you as you continue to connect, grow, and serve.